And I want to remind you today that what we celebrate is not some type of religious folklore. Because of the implications of Jesus' resurrection, hundreds of millions of people all around the world have stopped what they're doing today to come and worship in a church. Some come just to remember. Others come to celebrate or rejoice. And still others come to recalibrate. And by that I mean they want to ponder the significance of the resurrection and they want to try to determine what kind of impact it will have on their lives. And so in an attempt for us to remember and to rejoice and maybe even to recalibrate ourselves, I want to focus our attention today on four brief two-word sound bites that carry every bit as much meaning for us today as they did for those followers in the first century. And the first soundbite comes... As Jesus' followers, having heard the rumors of something happening over the cemetery, they race to the place where Jesus had been buried, and they run smack dab into the resurrected Savior. And I tell you, I think that probably resulted in near fatal heart attacks for some of those guys. In fact, the term terrified, I think, would have captured the expression. And in the middle of that pre-dawn chaos, Jesus says these two words, Fear not. Now, what I think adds extra punch to this is that this isn't the first time that Jesus has asked his disciples to get a grip on themselves. I think I could build a very good case that one of the major objectives of Jesus' mission and his ministry was to help his followers conquer the power of fear. I know I don't have to spend too much time convincing some of you about the destructive and the immobilizing aspects of fear. Fear is powerful stuff. And you wouldn't know it from all the polished and calm exteriors that most of us project when we come into a place like this. But if the truth were known, many of us in this place are acquainted with the suffocating and tyrannizing effects of fear. I know some among us today are feeling that tourniquet of financial pressure, and it's just twisting tighter and tighter, and we're scared. There are some among us today who have physical or health issues and it's, it's led to some fear. Sometimes it's a life or death issue. And I think that we can all relate to that pulse quickening, stomach turning, stab of terror that comes whenever there's an unannounced type of event in our life that just strikes us with fear. And on the very first Easter, Jesus says with greater authority than ever before, fear not. Look at me. I'm back from the dead. This is real. For three years, I challenged you to believe in me and to believe in my love for you. I asked you to choose faith over fear. And I told you that I will help you. And I want you to realize that for, for that same very power that was available to me to rise from the dead, that's available to each of you, so fear not. And that Easter and this Easter... I don't think that we have to cave in anymore to those fearful thoughts that enter our minds. You don't have to manufacture some elaborate horror story and then you kind of write yourself in as the helpless victim. You don't have to live constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. You can make a choice of faith over fear. It's a better way to live. I think you can believe the best about the kind of future that a loving God would want for you. And I think Jesus would say to you this morning, please, don't settle for a life that is tyrannized by fear, because really that's not much of a life. Fear not, Jesus said on that first Easter. And I wonder how many of you needed to come today 
just to hear that first two-word soundbite. Fear not. I wonder how many of you need access to resurrection power in order to turn from fear to faith in a specific area of your life. And I hope you'll walk out this morning just liberated from the power of paralyzing fear. I hope you'll access it, and I hope you'll act on it. Well, the second soundbite is going to be one that's very familiar to many of you. You'll remember that one of Jesus' twelve disciples had been absent when Jesus first appeared after the resurrection. And when the other disciples told Thomas, I think they probably told him with a little supercharged enthusiasm, he said, and this is Bill Crawford translation, what do you take me for, a fool? You can fantasize all you want about the resurrection, but it looks like I've already wasted three years of my life, and I'm not going to waste one more minute on anything that has to be associated with Jesus. It's over. He's dead. Don't you guys get it? Let it go. And then, I think, in total frustration, he blurts out, I would have to push my finger into the wounds on his hands and feet, and I'd have to stick my hand into his side before I would ever believe in a resurrection. Well, shortly after Thomas's tirade, a group of the guys were together, and they're in a room when all of a sudden, guess who's there? I'm not sure that Jesus showed up just for the fellowship. I have this feeling that he was looking for somebody, and I have a sneaking suspicion he was looking for Thomas. Now, if I let my imagination run a bit loose, which has often been a problem, but uh, I picture one of those old Western movies where the guys are about to square off in the saloon, you know, where, where they're kind of staring each other down, and everybody else is like diving behind tables and running out through those swinging doors and making themselves scarce because they know there's going to be some action. And I sort of picture Jesus squaring off with Thomas, And the other disciples, remembering what doubting Thomas had said just a few days earlier, and probably fearing the worst for Thomas, you know, so they're kind of thinking, oh boy, is Thomas going to get it? He, you know, this will teach him to open his big, fat mouth. And so Jesus walks right up to Thomas, and the room is deadly silent. And then everyone hears Jesus say to Thomas, touch me, touch me, not beat it. Not drop dead, not go to hell, but touch me. And friends, those two words communicate volumes about the character of Jesus. Thomas and the other disciples learned a lot from Jesus that day. And I'm hoping that many of you will learn something about Jesus today too. Namely, that he's not angry. He's not afraid of honest doubt. In fact, I think he invites it. And when we have questions about him, I think he says, come and seek and touch. He wants you to clear up the haze that you have about him. And I think that ought to be good news for many of you who came to this Easter celebration with more questions than you have answers and maybe with more doubt than you have faith. I think the resurrected Jesus has two words for you. And it would be this, touch me. Don't discount your doubts. Don't deny them. Don't run away from them. Don't bury them. Ask your questions. Do your homework. Consider the evidence. Read the Bible. Read secular history. Look at the facts. Listen to smart people who have devoted their lives to determine if the Christian faith is real or a pack of lies. Jesus would say, check it all out. But I think he would also add this tagline. 
Once you've checked it out, once you've done your homework, once you've considered the evidence, then act honorably. Don't lie to yourself about your findings. Make a high-integrity decision once you know what the facts are. And that's what Thomas did. Thomas weighed the evidence, and then he fell to his knees, and he says, My God, my Lord and my God, I believe in you. And I would urge you to ferret out for yourself what it really happened on Good Friday and what happened on Easter Sunday. And how much evidence there really is to back up the, the claim that Jesus is God's Son, the only Savior of the world. And if you're serious about checking this out, I'd like to send you a book entitled The Case for Easter. It was written by an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune by the name of Lee Strobel. He spent three years researching evidence in order to discredit a decision that his wife had made to become a Christ follower. And if you'll either email me or drop your response card by the registration table, I'll get you a copy this week. And I have to tell you, and I'm not flying blind in this, I've done my homework, a lot of homework. I've probably read hundreds, at least a hundred books on the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. I have done a lot of thinking and talking to people about it. I've weighed the evidence and I've come to my conclusions. And I just wonder if you've really done your homework. You know, I wonder if Jesus is whispering to you this morning, come on, touch me. Don't just spout the party lines of a bunch of dead cynics. Seek honestly. Seek for yourself. Ask your toughest questions. I don't know how many of you are past due in dealing with your doubts about the Christian faith. And my suggestion to you is that you take the time between this Easter and next Easter to try to resolve those doubts one way or the other and do it with integrity and honesty. And as you're doing that and you search to resolve your doubts, know this, that the resurrected Christ is not afraid of your investigation. In fact, he welcomes it. He encourages you to check it out. So touch me. Fear not, touch me. Then the third soundbite that I want to highlight is, is a direct challenge that Jesus issued all throughout his ministry. And I'm going to assume that he did it after his resurrection as well. He simply looked people in the eye and without one ounce of apology, he said, follow me. You know, if you believe that I'm God's son, the resurrected savior of the world, then follow me. Follow my example. Follow my teaching. Love people the way I love people. Serve people the way I serve people. Care for the poor the way I have. Feed the hungry. Visit the sick and lonely. Remember forgotten people. Share with the needy. Encourage the discouraged. Lead high-integrity lives. Don't cave in to lust or greed or pride. Do what I ask. And I'm sure that Jesus said it again. Follow me. And you know... Not only in that day, but I think some of you have heard that challenge from Jesus. Maybe it was in your youth. Maybe it was during your college years or as young adults. And something inside of you cried out when you heard that, follow me. I will. You said, I know that there's no one else worth following. You said, I will follow you wherever you lead, however you guide, whatever you want me to do, I will follow you. But I think you've been listening to another voice lately. And you've heard it, and, and so do I. I mean, join the human race. The voice says, that's not you. You've got a lot to live for. You know, you've got brains and talent and potential. You've got places to go and things to do and goals that you want to achieve. So whatever you do, stop this foolish thinking about following Jesus and submitting to his leadership. I hear that voice every day. 
I've got to get up every morning and make a choice. Who am I following today? How do you deal with that voice? The resurrected Savior of the world stands before you and he says, follow me, trust me, obey me, cooperate with my plan. And if you do, you will grab hold of life that is truly life, not only in this life, but throughout eternity as well. I promise, but follow me. So what do you do? Well, my strongest advice to you on this Easter Sunday, to those of you who have already acknowledged that Jesus is God's Son, the Savior of the world, I would say to you, then follow him. I think you already know that his love is real. You know his counsel is wise. You know his wisdom is true. And you know that his plan for your life is good. I heard a speaker when I was in college lament the fact that Christianity is not untrue. It's just untried. And I wonder how many of you are willing to get off the fence of indecision and you might say to the living Christ today, okay, starting today, I will follow you. I don't want to go to my grave never having honestly attempted to follow you fully. And so starting today, I will. I'll need your help. I'll need your patience and your power. But starting today, I'm going to attempt to honor you in everything I do. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to respond to your promptings. I'm going to stop what you tell me to stop doing. I'm going to start doing what you tell me to start doing. I'm going to follow you flat out. and I'm going to take the risk. I will follow you. And I have a feeling that there's a lot of you who needed to come to this Easter celebration just to hear those two words. I have a feeling that maybe some of you have strayed from Christ over the last several years. You didn't mean to, but somehow you just wound up in the gravel by the side of the road. You're not following Christ as closely as you once did. Or perhaps you've never given your life. You've had an intellectual assent that, yes, I believe this is true, but you've never stepped out to follow Christ. And maybe today you'd say for the first time, I'm going to make that my commitment. I'm going to be fully devoted to the person of Jesus Christ. You know, Christ honors those who follow him. He gives us a new kind of freedom. He accentuates our individuality. He gives us a mission and a purpose. And he gives us a sense of that adventure. And he gives us satisfaction of the soul. Follow Christ. Fear not. Touch me. Follow me. And then... Let me just briefly mention one more soundbite that came from Jesus just before his ascension. Jesus looked with earnestness into his followers' eyes, and he said, my translation from the Greek, get going. Go out into the whole world and spread the news that moral failures can be made right with God because what I did on the cross. Repentant sinners can find forgiveness, and their shame and their guilt can be removed. Alienated men and women can be reconciled to God and they can have a close relationship with Him. Get going. And as you go, spread the news. People will respond. They will. If you're willing to get going, they will respond. I love the story of Steve Jobs. Most of you are aware that he just recently deceased. He was the president of the Apple uh, computer company. But he realized when this company was first getting going, this is back in the early 80s, that the growth of the corporation necessitated his hiring an experienced executive who could provide overall leadership for the company. And so he went after a very seasoned top executive from Pepsi-Cola. The guy, John Scully, had been the vice president and then at the time was the president of Pepsi-Cola. Steve Jobs met with him for several hours in New York City and he 
realized that Scully probably was not going to accept his offer to become the chief executive officer of Apple Corporation. And so he took him up to an apartment overlooking Central Park and kind of in a desperate way, exasperated, he says to Scully, are you going to tell me that you're going to settle for selling sugar water for the rest of your life when you could come work for a company that's going to change the world? John Scully writes in his book, that challenge knocked the wind out of me and it caused me to leave Pepsi and go to join Apple. And by the way, Apple sales went from $800 million to $8 billion when he became the CEO. But like John Scully, I think every person in this room is wired by God to resonate with the challenge of bringing change to our world. But I'll tell you, personal computers will never impact the world as much as laying planks in the relational bridge that will help Christ walk across into the lives of other people. And when a love-starved person is introduced to the love of God for the first time, and when a lonely person finally experiences the richness of companionship with Jesus Christ, and when a shame-filled, guilty person fully finds forgiveness in Christ, and when a wandering person finally finds purpose for their life, that's huge. And it brings tremendous transformation in the life of that individual, but then a chain reaction starts, and a powerful chain reaction is set into motion. Transform people, touch other people. A husband affects a wife, parents affect their children, friends tell friends, co-workers clue in their colleagues, and little networks of Christ followers are formed. And then churches were established and ministries are launched that touch more people. And pretty soon change is taking place all over. It's breaking out all over the place. The poor get cared for. The hungry get fed. The sick get visited. Lonely people get loved. Needy people get served. Wounded people start becoming whole. And I think in the little corner of our world, little changes start to take place. But it has to be initiated by someone who's willing to get going. Someone who's willing to step out of the showers, or out of the shower, out of the shadows. <laughs> Got to get out of the shower first and then, and then create some action for Christ. Someone willing to say a word for the risen Christ to a lost and confused world. You know, in a very real way, worldwide change hinges on those two words. Get going. And I have a feeling some of you this morning needed to hear Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, say again, get going. Don't waste your life selling sugared water. There's something more important to be done than just making a living and buying some trinkets and then going to bed at night. And with the help of God, with the authentic faith in Christ, with courage from the indwelling Spirit, I think every one of us can be someone who sets in motion a change reaction that will change our little corner of the world. But some of you this morning, you need to say, this is the day when I say, God, I will get going. I will start a chain reaction in my corner of the world with the good news of the risen Christ. So there you have it. Four sound bites from the resurrected Savior. I don't know which one you needed to hear today, but I'll bet you needed to hear at least one of them. Maybe you needed to hear fear not. And you need the resurrected Savior. 
to give you the power to turn your fear into faith in a particular area of your life. Maybe you needed to hear, touch me. And maybe you needed the challenge today to mark this date as the starting date when you're going to resolve to get through your doubts and weigh the evidence and then to act honorably on the outcome. Maybe you needed to hear, follow me, because you've just drifted off the path. And maybe you needed to hear, get going. Or as we like to say, just do it. Start a chain reaction that will change your world. And I just hope, and I've prayed, that whatever you needed to hear today, that God would underline that in your life, and you would take action. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, with your resurrection, you've given us new life and renewed hope. And we want to live as people who respond to your words. Give us the wisdom to know what we must do, the will to want to do it, the courage to undertake it, the perseverance to continue to do it, and the strength to complete it. And we pray this in Jesus' name because we believe there are things that Jesus would pray. Amen.